In this episode, I'll tell the story about how I learned about the importance of a good hoof trim. I'll talk about my horse Vivaldi and how his feet transformed and actually how challenging it was for me to make that change. I really hope that this episode helps some of you be more confident when it comes to you making important changes and improvements in your horse's hoof care. So here we go, episode 41, a story about hooves. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Hoof care is such an important subject. I mean, we've all heard the quote, no foot, no horse. And that's really true. Learning about a good balanced hoof and about a good barefoot trim has changed so many things in my horsemanship. It was actually uh, a hoof issue that caused me to even learn about natural horsemanship in the first place. So uh, my horse Vivaldi gave me so many gifts and uh, I really, <laughs> I feel bad that he had to suffer uh, longer than he needed to for me to learn this lesson, but I did learn it and I'm so grateful that I came across him and his feet issues because it really put me on such a different path, not just with hoof care, but in how I do horses completely. So that's the story I want to share with you guys. So the background of Vivaldi was he came to me um, already uh, schooling pre-St. George, Intermediate One, and a student of mine uh, had bought him, well, she had bought him and then she became a student of mine. And uh, unfortunately, she passed away at a very early age and she willed him to me. Uh, he was a challenging horse. He was a challenging horse in that he was about as used up a horse as you could imagine. So she was a very timid, petite rider, and he was such a pussycat uh, with her, so sweet, and didn't jump around or do anything, you know, <laughs> like that, explosive like that. Um, un unfortunately, part of the reason he was so sort of bomb-proof uh, uh, was that he was shut down and uh, had sore feet, <laughs> unfortunately. But he came to me and of course I did my best with him and, and really, you know, what I do with horses. So tried to do my best to make him a happy horse and really um, worked hard to get him lighter and more responsive and, you know, going in a snaffle and, and doing my best to, to improve his training and to bring out <clears throat> his personality. Uh, but the thing that I struggled the most with was some, um, what we would call tentativeness on his front feet. Uh, back then we didn't say he was lame uh, because he wasn't limping. But unfortunately now I realize that he was just lame on both front feet. 
So no, he wasn't uneven, but he for sure was um, struggling with some pain. Uh, being the very stoic uh, character that he was, uh, he put up with it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry, Vivaldi. I, he, he's one of the horses on the top of my list of, of horses I need to apologize to. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't cause him to be there in that state. He was 11 when he came to me and I do feel really proud that, um, that we did improve him and, and made it better. And he lived out a, a very long, happy life. Uh, so it, it, it's, it has a happy ending. <laughs> so just so you know, uh, so what, what we would notice is he would kind of pat the ground and we knew that he was always more comfortable immediately after being shod. So when we were in our competition schedule, I would always, you know, try to orchestrate it so that we could get him shod right before the show because it seemed like the longer he was, he went in his shoeing cycle, uh, the less comfortable he was. And, you know, I knew that his feet weren't good uh, to the point, you know, we had our farriers there and this is a top competition barn. I mean, there were horses that were short and long listed and on the team for the U S at this barn. So we had, you know, good farriers. I'll put that in quotes. <laughs> uh, so I had a pretty high degree of confidence at the time that the farriers there were doing as best they could with the situation. But whenever I went to competitions and, you know, some of these were CDI competitions and there would be, you know, the, the farriers for the show there. And I would always bring him up to the farriers and say, Hey, could you take a look at this horse and just give me your opinion, do a little consult. And every single one would look at him and go, Oh yeah, he's got bad feet. Uh, your farrier's doing a great job considering how bad his feet are. And yeah, I, I listened to them and I thought, well, yeah, what a shame. He's got bad feet, just the confirmation he was born with. And my fairies were doing a good job. And I thought that the evidence of immediately after he was shod, he was the most comfortable was actually evidence that they were in fact doing a really good job. Now, along the same time period, we started having this um, holistic uh, vet, which is a veterinarian, also did um, Chinese, you know, practice in Chinese med traditional medicine, acupuncturist, and uh, her name is Judith Shoemaker. She's uh, out of Pennsylvania, and she would come to the farm and work on um, lots of the horses there. And whenever she looked at Vivaldi, she would look at his feet and she's going, you've got to change these feet. And she kept <clears throat> telling me she's a very fiery, passionate genius, I think. And she'd tell me what she wanted to do with the feet. And it seemed so extreme to me. And I'd ask the farriers, you know, at the barn and they'd all like shake their head and go, that lady's crazy. You know, that's nuts. Don't do that. And I was competing them. And you know, when you get to that situation where you know something's not right but at least at least it's a known <laughs> like we had our system I knew it wasn't right but we kind of 
it was predictable. I could predict his level of discomfort. And what she was suggesting, what Dr. Shoemaker was suggesting seemed radical. It seemed extreme. And I knew enough to know that like extreme dramatic changes in feet can really put them more risk at tendon injuries and things like that. So I would listen to her and say, I just can't do it. Like he was still going. I didn't want to make anything worse. So I didn't follow her advice and none of the farriers around there would do it anyway. So I was really stuck because you don't, <laughs> I, even if, even if the change was correct, if that change was being done by a farrier who didn't believe it, that's not going to work because <laughs> you don't want someone doing something while they're thinking this isn't going to work. Like that's not a good strategy. So it was, I was kind of like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but it's not going to happen <laughs> basically. So that went on for, you know, some years. <laughs> I'm sorry, Vivaldi. And then he started having some more, more unsoundness, more tentativeness. And he did start having an abscess and then there'd be another abscess a little while later. And then, oh man, he's got an abscess again. And the abscesses kept coming up in the same place. And now this is a horse. He wasn't turned out a lot. I mean, you know, <laughs> I was like, why are these abscesses continuing to happen in the same place in the same area of the foot? And we finally started taking some x-rays of his feet and realized that he was so underrun in his heels that the back part of his coffin bone actually sat lower than the toe part of the coffin bone. So that's pretty extreme. And so he was abscessing from the inside out. And we noticed that there was a lot of surprise arthritis in his pastern joints from being in pretty much hyperextension all the time. And I remember, you know, we had one vet tech that take the x-rays and then showed them to another vet. And that second vet who didn't know the horse uh, actually asked me, she's like, is this horse standing? And I said, I'm riding him. <laughs> And they were like, this is so extreme. We can't believe that he's even standing. And it was soon after that, um, that Vivaldi, I remember taking him out on the barn aisle. He was just, God, that horse was so stoic and so kind and so in learned helplessness. Now I realize he was in so much pain. I took him out on the aisle. And he was quivering to the point where you could hear his shoes like scraping across the cement. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, that's it. Like, stop. <laughs> so that's when I called Dr. Shoemaker and I said, 
I got to I, you know, now I'm ready. <laughs> now I'm ready to try what you've been telling me to do the whole time because she could see it without an x-ray and I couldn't, I just simply didn't know. And now I have to remind people in my defense, this was back in the nineties and you know, I guess, I don't even know if we had internet. I mean, I didn't have a computer, right? So there's, you know, we only knew what was around us. We, I only could gather the information from what was in a magazine or from the professionals that were local to me that I happened to come across. That's what I was relying on. You know, my, my way of doing a Google search was asking the farrier at the shows. <laughs> so I really, I really felt like I was doing the best I could do. Maybe that's, I'm just telling myself that so I don't cry too much about it. But I called Dr. Shoemaker and I said, well, I got nothing to lose now. And I, I brought him to her in Pennsylvania and she worked with um, a farrier that she, you know, that she had there. And we immediately um, took x-rays again and trimmed him according to the x-ray. You know, we, we trimmed him and then um, we had to put on like a custom made shoe. And I believe at first we did put a degree pad on just to give him some immediate relief. But the shoe, and then we'd set the shoe on and we'd x they'd x-rayed and then reset the shoe if they needed to so that the shoe was set back far enough that there was no um, leverage. Like it was like right at the front of the shoe was right at the fulcrum. So it was just the breakover was incredibly easy and it looked crazy. I mean, the shoe was back a couple inches beyond the hoof, the toe of his hoof and hung back another three inches. But I mean, the way he was moving, there was no way he was going to overreach. He was, he could barely walk. So we did that and then reset the shoes every two weeks. And I, I might be getting the timing wrong, but I think within a month or six weeks, they were able to have him trimmed with a shoe with no degree pad and his angles were correct. Blew me away. The The trimming that this farrier did and what Judith did and the acupuncture and the support and um, he got sound enough to walk. We did um, um, treadmills in a I don't even know what they're called. It fills up with water and they're on a treadmill. So he was walking a treadmill in water and that kept him fit. And in three months, I'd come down and visit him. But in three months, when I came back to pick him up, he was cantering through the pasture. And what a gift. So it, you know, it was, it was one of those things that was so scary for me to, to do this change I waited way too long as so many people do with quote unquote alternative stuff. You know, nowadays, luckily a good hoof trim, I don't think, well, in my world, it's not alternative. It's like <laughs> they're born with hooves. They're not born with shoes on. And you know, now I cannot look at another, at, at a horse's feet 
the same way after that experience. He went from completely underrun wrong angles to correct angles, and eventually he was able to go barefoot. So I was able to ride him for a couple more years after that, and it was all during this period when his life really changed that I said, all right, well, all pressure is off, no more competing, every step is a gift, and that's when I started looking for other things to do with him. He was in this dressage facility, you know, there's not a lot of turnout, and that's when I started investigating natural horsemanship. And that made me go look for, you know, other ways to connect with him and bond with him. And, and the combination of improving his feet, so he was not, you know, in pain, and the starting the natural horsemanship and really bringing out his personality and building the cooperation and the lightness, and that those two things together allowed me to ride him on it on his schedule for another couple of years. And then, you know, I'm happy to report when he really did retire, I actually sent him down to Florida way before I went to Florida. I had a friend in Florida where he could be turned out and get lots of attention. So he came down to Florida. And then in, in 2003, when I came down, um, he actually ended up coming to where I was staying, uh, at the Pearly Ranch in, in Florida. And then later when I bought my property, he came home, Bubba came home and, uh, he, where he was the mayor of the property and just wandered around greeting everybody. And, um, he's buried him. He's buried here. So I'm so happy that like his life just got better and better. And, you know, when he, his last years here at my place, um, he just had run of the whole property and he could do whatever he wanted. That was the rule. Bubba gets to do whatever Bubba wants to do. And, uh, he was just awesome. I could go on and on about that horse. He was amazing. So it is a, a very happy story. And he taught me so much about how much a horse's hooves can change. Not only change as far as taking a bad hoof and bringing it to better, but how much they can change for the worse when you don't take care of them, when you don't trim them correctly, when you put shoes on them and let them run out for six, eight weeks, you know, and now that I have my horses barefoot and I trim my own horses, I'm not perfect, but I think I pretty do a pretty darn good job. And, uh, I had to build my confidence doing that and follow the instructions of good trimmers. And most of all, listen to my horse, listen to my horse and watch how they move. And if you get the feeling that something's not quite right with your horse's feet, you've got to investigate more. And gosh, nowadays there's so, you know, with the internet <laughs> and there's so, it's so much easier to get information. So if you have a horse with questionable feet, and front and front hoof lameness, um, especially if they're abscessing a lot, please, please, please investigate better hoof care. And, you know, now there's so many different people out there doing it. I know it can be hard to choose. So you can use a rule that I use a lot, which is approach everything with openness. Hear what people have to say. Skepticism. Don't just go believe in everybody. And then common sense, meaning look at the evidence. 
And I think if you approach everything, you know, approach it with those three things in mind, you're going to get pretty close to the right answer for you and your horse. Gosh, I remember when, uh, when Bubba came home from Pennsylvania and he was sound and I'm trotting him around on these weird, you know, these weird looking feet and these weird looking shoes, but he's sound. And I, I remember the farriers at that barn, um, were angry at me. They were angry at me for, I don't know what, making my horse sound, making them look bad ego. I don't know what it was, but I used to really enjoy trotting him past <laughs> the farriers that said that that would never work. And for a while I would, um, I would drive him four and a half hours back to Pennsylvania to have his, um, shoes redone. That's, it was that important. And it was it no, you know, the farriers there wouldn't do it. That's fine. <laughs> I'll find, I'll, I'll bring him back. So did that for a while. And at some point, um, his feet became normal enough that I actually could have some farriers uh, back in New York um, shoe him as long as I keep kept a close eye. <laughs> oh, so, you know, as I started to educate myself more and started to um, be so bold as to trim my own horse's feet, I mean, remember back in the 90s, like girls don't trim horses' feet <laughs> and certainly owners don't trim their horse's feet. You know, it was scary. I remember being scared the first time I ever used a pair of nippers. Uh, but what I used to do is after someone would trim my horse's feet, uh, when I'm grooming them, I would just practice picking up the foot and running the rasp over it just to get the feel for how that rasp would flow over the foot. Um, and I just, you know, before we get too long, I just keep it filed and keep it filed. And, and for me, I guess maybe the artist eye in me, it's very sculptural. So I could see the shape and just get used to feeling the shape. And then I could see where, whoop, this is going in a weird direction. And I take pictures so I could compare the picture and like, Ooh, it's sticking out over here. Okay. I can, <laughs> I can file that off. And I remember being terrified the first time I used nippers. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to I'm going to make them bleed. And I'd take off this like little sliver. Um, so now I'm, I'm much more confident and I do still get help from professionals, uh, uh, enough to make sure I don't head into many wrong directions. But I remember a, a horse came in for training and the owner, one of the things the owner said she was having trouble with is that the horse wouldn't jump. It was refusing jump. So, you know, needed more confidence jumping. And the horse came in and his feet were just like paddles. And it rem I saw the same kind of underrun and big flaring toes. And um, I was like, oh, well, you, maybe we should, you know, get him trimmed before I do it. And she said, oh, I, he just was trimmed. Uh, she said, I brought him to a natural hoof trimmer. And that natural hoof trimmer said that the hoof knows where it needs to go. So they just let it go where it needed to go. And apparently it needed to flare and be underrun. So uh, that was one of the first times that I actually trimmed a, a client's horse. I'm like, I'll, I'll do it on my own horse, but I am not a professional in the hoof trimming department. But in that case, uh, I, I just could, I couldn't, I couldn't watch that horse paddle around on these flippers. 
So I did, I, I trimmed him and miracles and miracles, he started to jump again. And that was the most of the training that I did was just take his feet out of pain. I think I've told this story before in another podcast about uh, my neighbor who's a dressage trainer telling a story of a, a horse she had, or she had a, a three-year-old young horse and she was having a lot of trouble with him being foot sore in front. And she said, you know, Karen, I don't like the look of his feet. I'm going to pull his shoes. Can you come over and trim him? Like me. <laughs> and I did. And uh, he stopped having issues with his feet. He was sound, going really well. And she was showing him for sale. And uh, the vet was doing the pre-purchase. And the vet was really impressed at how sound he was. And he was barefoot. Uh, but the trainer... Um, of the prospective buyer came along and said and pulled um, my friend aside and said how unprofessional of you to present a horse for sale barefoot and I thought well this is part of the problem <laughs> why are people just slapping shoes on just you know for fashion it doesn't seem like a good enough reason to me and you know when you start putting shoes on a horse just because they're a certain age, they need to wear shoes. You know, I, I don't think that's a good enough reason. As soon as you put the shoes on the horse, it changes their life because now they can't be turned out with other horses. So this decision to put shoes on a horse is a huge decision. Anybody out there with young horses, do not take that decision lightly. As soon as those back shoes are on, it's much more dangerous to turn them out with other horses and now begins their life of isolation and bad feet, potentially. Now, I am not anti-shoe because, like I said, Vivaldi needed to wear some shoes to help him. They were, you know, they helped, helped him change and rebalance his feet. Not every horse is a perfect clean slate. Um, we need to look at the whole situation. Uh, but I tell you, these days with boots, there are so many good boots out there um, that if you have a horse's feet, your horse is barefoot, and for some reason you're feeling they need shoes, really ask yourself why, what is the actual problem that shoes are supposed to solve, and can that be solved in some way other than shoes? I mean, even glue-on shoes. Um, I tried those on Ovation and they still, you know, they still, I just can't, I can't look at a foot. I, I need to like, I need to be able to rasp it every couple weeks. <laughs> anyway, but I, I am not anti-shoe. Don't feel bad if your horse is wearing shoes. You, It's possible to have a good trim in shoes. Just um, think about it. Ask the questions. Investigate. And take in the whole picture. Look at any other issues that your horse might be having and just see, you know, my horses that have been barefoot, uh, went to Colorado for a season. And during that it's kind of rocky and hard and I didn't know or have boots. So I put shoes on because they had to spend so much time on this like gravelly thing. And, um, you know, they did well with the shoes, but the ch it changed the shape of their foot, even keeping up on trimming them or reshoeing them. Uh, it after I got back to Florida and took off the shoes, I found it took a long time to get back to where they were before. So do your best if shoes really is the best thing your horse needs. That's fine. I guess the main 
point of this podcast is that hooves can change dramatically, dramatically. So uh, it's worth investigating. Don't settle for people telling you that your horse has bad feet. And really in the holistic um, view of your horse, something Dr. Shoemaker really highlighted for me um, is the importance of teeth and feet. And she said, if you can balance the feet, balance the teeth and the TMJ, you know, at, for her as a chiropractor acupuncture, she's like, if the teeth and the feet are done, the rest of the body will sort itself out so much easier and it will last. So that was, you know, watching that happen with Vivaldi, that really stuck in my brain. And um, it's just a, such an important piece. So uh, as a as a person who is never thought, I never thought I would be trimming my own horse's feet never in a million years when I was back in New York. It was a big mystery. But um, if you feel like something's going on in your horse's feet, trust it, investigate it. So I hope this helps. I hope this helps prevent another horse like Vivaldi from living that many years in that much pain. Um, so that's it. As always, uh, drop into the Dressage Naturally Land Facebook group, ask to join and um, leave me a comment. Let me know. Let me know what you think. All right. Bye. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.